James 5, 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we increasingly live in a world and in a culture where patience, where the virtue of patience is seemingly less and less necessary. You know, our world is more and more automated all the time, right? We can do a lot of things literally with the touch of a finger. We can listen to music. We can download or stream a movie. We can order a pizza. That sounds like a pretty good Friday night to me. We can do it all just with the touch of a finger on a phone or a mobile device. You know, that's a lot different from the world I grew up in. It's a lot different, I'm sure, from the world that many of you grew up in. When I was growing up, if you wanted information, sometimes you had to wait for it, amazingly. Uh, I love uh, random trivia, useless facts. 80% of my brain is clogged with completely useless information, I'm sure. And uh, one type of trivia that I love is sports trivia. And um, the reason I love sports trivia is because when I was growing up, my father, uh, this was a formative experience for me. My father would have friends over to our house and they would watch a football game, you know, Monday night football or a basketball playoff game or college basketball or something like that. And my dad and his friends would just talk about sports and talk about their memories of their favorite athletes. And I remember as, you know, a 10, 11, 12 year old just sitting there taking it all in, loving it. And they would often ask each other, you know, sports questions and talk about who was the best quarterback, who's the best running back, that sort of thing. And I have this vivid memory of one time when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my father and a couple of his friends, we were watching a basketball game and they began to talk about Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, you know, great NBA players in the 80s, and started, you know, asking each other questions. Well, do you remember this? Do you remember that? And the issue came up about where Larry Bird went to college. Does anybody know? Indiana State. Okay. And so the good job, sports trivia. I know who to bring to the bar next time there's a sports trivia night. Um, so Indiana State, and they were talking about that, but no one could remember the Indiana State mascot. And so we started talking and these guys were just, you know, you could see them just racking their brains. And, you know, they had encyclopedia. You remember these things called Encyclopedia Britannica's? We used to have these in my house. Well, that didn't have the Indiana State mascot. We didn't know. And so they were just in agony over the Indiana State mascot. They could not remember, and we didn't have smartphones. We couldn't just look it up. And so what they ended up doing was calling a pizza hut in Terre Haute, I think that's how you say that, Terre Haute, Indiana, where Indiana State is, and asking, like, the general manager of the local pizza hut, what is the mascot? Does anybody know the mascot? Wow, well done. The sycamores, the Indiana State sycamores. I have that useless piece of information stored in the recesses of my brain. And uh, because I remember that. But the point is, we had to work hard, you know, relatively to get that kind of information, to get important information, to get unimportant information. Our world is no longer like that. Our world has changed. Now I could just ask Siri, what's the Indiana State mascot? And she would probably misunderstand me and take me to some random website. But we don't have to be patient anymore. It's seemingly less and less important. 
And nothing in our culture is going to just automatically help us increase in patience, right? But God, through this part of James in particular, is calling his people, really is calling all of us to live patiently, to live patiently on the journey of life. Eugene Peterson is a theologian, and he has used the phrase regarding the Christian life of a long obedience in the same direction. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And in this story, this passage, that's what James is calling each one of us to. Um, the main point of James, as we've been studying it for the last few weeks, is that God is radically committed to making each one of his followers a whole, mature, complete person. Chapter 1, verse 4 lays that theme out. And we've seen again and again that God uses every single thing in our lives for that purpose, for that end. He can even use suffering for that purpose. It can be learning wisdom. It can be Christian community. It can be the way we use our resources. It can be the way we treat each other. It can be our marriages or our life as parents or our life as children. Everything, everything. Everything in our lives is used by God with the purpose of making us whole, complete. And that journey, as we've seen, is oftentimes a very hard one. If you're not a follower of Jesus, one thing that I would love for you to understand and that I love about Christianity and about the scriptures is how it's just ruthlessly honest about what it's like to be a Christian and really about what life is like in general. It's not all, you know, cupcakes and roses. It's oftentimes filled with pain. It's oftentimes very difficult. It's usually maybe marked with struggle and difficulty. And in the midst of all of that, our point this morning is that God is calling us to be patient. Patience is a fruit of the spirit we see in other parts of the New Testament. Patience is, in 1 Corinthians 13, the first defining characteristic of love. Patience is a necessary attribute for each of us if we're going to become whole if we're going to mature and grow up in Jesus. Let's summarize the main idea this morning like this. Be patient on the journey because the Lord is coming back. That's what I want you to take away from James chapter 5. Be patient on the journey because the Lord is coming back. Two big parts to break that statement down. First, James is going to teach us, be patient in suffering because the Lord is coming. And then second, be patient with each other because the Lord is coming. Be patient in suffering, be patient with each other, because the Lord is coming. So let's look at the scripture a little bit this morning and think about those ideas together. First, be patient in suffering because the Lord is coming. In verse 7, James says, be patient. And then he repeats it again in verse 8, be patient. And if you look closely there at verse 7, you'll notice that James writes, be patient therefore, brothers. And what he's doing is connecting what he says here in verses 7 through 11 with what he has previously written in verses 1 through 6. The therefore connects those two texts together. And in verses 1 through 6, we saw last week, James is writing about how this minority, marginalized, ancient Christian community of churches that he's writing this letter to are being oppressed by rich, wealthy, unbelieving landowners in the ancient Roman Empire. They're suffering, in other words. They're undergoing difficulty and pain. And so James is writing to a church in the context of difficulty, okay? In the context of suffering, in the context of oppression and marginalization. 
He's writing to a people that are in pain, and he is calling them to endure. Okay? He calls them to endure, to wait, to be patient until, verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. And you'll notice there, the coming of the Lord, the return of Jesus Christ is mentioned three times in verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. So Jesus is calling us here through James to endure, to wait, to be patient in suffering until he returns. So the patience we're being asked to exhibit in our lives in this particular passage is not just like a patience in a traffic jam. It's not like just patience with kids or patience with parents. It's, it's a meta patience. It's a big picture patience. You know, James is talking about living a life that is looking forward to one event. And listen, that event is not the achievement of our success. It's not retirement where we say, I've always wanted to get to the point where I could retire and enjoy the great things of the world and travel around. It's not even death where the one who believes Jesus has his soul ushered into the presence of God immediately where his body rests in the ground awaiting the resurrection. It's not even that. The one big event that we are to wait for, that we are to endure for is the return of Jesus Christ. James is saying here that we need to live life in light of that focal point. It's the coming of Jesus for which we are all waiting. All of life is to be lived in light of what is going to happen when Jesus comes back. Okay, so let's stop for a second and let's do a little bit of spiritual heart surgery on ourselves, which is always a little bit of a dangerous but a necessary thing, okay? Um, This idea... This idea is meant to encourage you on the journey of life. And so ask yourself, in what areas of your life are you having to exercise patience? And you're like, well, I've got a million examples right off the top, Pastor, right? Or to put it another way, what are your particular struggles or sufferings or hardships on the journey right now? Those are the things that God is asking you to endure. Those are the things that God is asking you to wait for Jesus in the midst of. So the return of Jesus is an essential Christian teaching. It's a part of what we call the gospel, the good news. And it's meant to give us hope. It's meant to be fuel for the fire of our faith, so to speak. The doctrine of his return is intended to encourage us as we go through difficulty, as we go through pain, and to wait for Jesus. So listen, listen. Right now, where do you find yourself? Um, Are you suffering maybe with being treated unfairly in your work life, in your extended family? Have you been disregarded or overlooked or taken for granted? God is calling you to be patient. Jesus is going to return. He's going to right every wrong. Are you struggling with weakness, like physical weakness, with the frailty of your own body, with sickness, with long-term illness, with cancer, with things that you can't figure out why you're so tired or why your energy is so low or why you're in pain. Jesus is saying, be patient. I am coming back. I will heal all things. The very last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, John writes, Jesus will return and wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. 
for the former things have passed away. Are you struggling just with, you know, the fallen condition and systems of the world kind of in the big picture? You know, you watch the news, you see your Facebook or Twitter feed, and you just get depressed. Man, this world is broken. Corrupt governments, refugee crises, famine, pestilence, all sorts of major, major problems. God is saying, be patient. Be patient. Jesus is going to return. He will bring healing to the nations. He will be our God. He will dwell among us. He's going to rule a new world with absolute justice and peace. There will be no injustices, no oppression, no lying, no greed, no selfishness. He will make the systems of the world new again. Are you struggling just with your own continued fighting against addictions or sin or failures? You know, you seem just overcome with anxiety or fear, or lust? Do you lose battles every day to anger, to bitterness? Do you have a hard time forgiving people who have wronged you? If that's where you are, the scripture is speaking to you. God is saying, be patient. In the midst of this, believe that Jesus is going to return. He will complete the good work in you that he has begun by his grace. So, That's what James is getting at here. He's asking, he's asking the church of Jesus Christ. He's asking each of us under the inspiration of God's spirit to endure, to be patient because really it is going to be a happy ending. God is going to return. All things will one day be whole and perfect again. So an important question is how then do we wait? (laughs) How do we wait well, right? How can we be patient? How practically do we grow in patience and wait for the Lord? A couple of thoughts here, but look what James says in verse 8, right? He says, you also be patient. And then he writes, establish your hearts for the Lord is near. What does that mean? That word there, establish, is a word. It's a word that kind of has the idea of hold the line or stand fast. I love American history. And uh, one of my favorite things about American history to read is about the Continental Army and General George Washington and the whole Revolutionary War is something I really enjoy just reading about. And one of the things that General Washington was famous for when he was the, the general in the Revolutionary War of the Continental Army is the idea that, you know, as long as there is a Revolutionary Army, there is a revolution. And so the whole point, his whole sort of political or military strategy was not to so much look for pitched battles against the British, but just to survive, just to be. As long as the army is existing, as long as it is holding the line, there's a chance that the colonies can secure their freedom. That's the idea that this word establish is calling us to just endure, just wait, just be. Or think about, you know, if you're a football fan, like a defensive tackle in football. You know, those big 350-pound dudes whose only job is to not get moved out of the way. You know, they, they, they have to hold the line so that an offensive guard or an offensive tackle can't push them out of the way and the running back run through the hole. Or if you're on the end of the line, you have to, you have to contain, right, either the quarterback or the running back from getting out of the pocket your whole job is to stand still and not let, let these guys push you around. That's, that's the idea that James is calling us to. Establish yourselves, he says. Establish your hearts. You notice that he says that? 
Patience at its core is a heart struggle. Patience at its core is a battle against unbelief. Think about this with me. Really important. What are you believing in your heart when you are being impatient? When you are being impatient, you are believing, whether you acknowledge it or not, you are believing that God is not looking out for you. That he doesn't know what he's doing. That he's not going to take care of you. So the fight to establish our hearts, the fight to be patient, is really a fight to believe the gospel. It's a fight to trust that what God has said to us is true. John Piper, um, famous pastor, has written this. The strength of patience hangs on our capacity to believe that God is up to something good for us in all our delays and detours. So very practically... Listen, very practically, if you're ever going to be patient and wait for God, you have to do a few things regularly. Primarily, you have to read and meditate on the scripture. Listen, you can't believe the promises that God gives if you don't know the promises. You can't believe the promises if you're not reflecting on the promises. And just as a very practical tool, I would encourage each one of you to find a Bible reading plan. There's a lot of really good ones. ESVBible.org, I think is the website. Tons of good ones. The Gospel Coalition website. Many good Bible reading plans. And carve out 15 to 30 minutes in your day to just read through the scriptures. And don't just read it like sort of a spiritual checklist. Read it and meditate upon it for a few minutes. Ask God, what is it that you're telling me about myself? What is it that you're telling me about you in this particular passage? Listen, if you're not doing that, you should not expect to grow in patience. You should not expect to be able to endure difficulty in life when you're not resting in and engaging by faith the promises that God has for us in his word. So you, you need to be reading your Bible. I mean, that's very, nothing, you know, super cute here. You need to read your Bible and you need to pray. <laughs> Again, nothing super out of the ordinary here for Christians. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian. Read and meditate on the scriptures and pray, as, as Paul says, pray without ceasing. Ask God to bless you with the strength of patience. And listen, I know it's hard to pray, especially, again, in a world where nothing is helping us be more patient. We want to check Twitter or Instagram after 20 seconds. I wonder if anybody else is praying and they've posted their quiet time on Instagram. (laughs) Don't do that, by the way. Um, So a, a way to help yourself, perhaps, is to just read through the prayers of the Apostle Paul in, say, Colossians chapter 1 or Ephesians chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 3. Like, read them out loud to God, and then sort of repeat them, and maybe take a few verses, or even a few clauses, or even a few words, and think about them, and let it kind of soak like you're soaking in a hot tub, right? For example, Colossians 1 says this, Paul's praying, May you be strengthened with all power, according to the glorious might of God, that you will have endurance and patience, there it is, and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Just take that verse. I mean, that's a loaded verse. And just reflect on it. Just think about it. And just start with, if I can do this for three minutes, that's a win, you know? Three minutes of reflecting upon God's word and trying to believe these promises and sort of ingest them into my my spiritual person. If you're not doing that, you're not going to be more patient. 
If you're not meditating upon God's word and seeking his will in prayer, don't expect, don't expect to live a life of increasing wholeness on the journey. And let me also just say here really briefly that the area of prayer is an area in which we as a young congregation, in my belief, need to grow. And I can just, at the outset as your pastor, repent and apologize to you for failing to lead you well in corporate and individual prayer. And so I think it's important for us in the coming months and years to develop ways for us to pray well and pray faithfully together as a congregation and also to equip you individually to pray well. That's, that's a high priority if we're going to become whole people. So the big picture, again, be patient in suffering because Jesus is coming back. How do you be patient? Well, you establish your hearts by meditating on the scripture, by spending time with God in prayer. And secondly, James tells us, be patient, not just in suffering, but be patient with each other because the Lord is coming. Look at verse nine. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So in the bigger picture, this idea of grumbling against one another fits in because think about it. When we are tired or enduring suffering or going through pain, the likelihood that we're going to grumble and be grumpy and irritable with other people, does it increase or decrease? It increases. When you're tired, when you, you, know, you feel like you've just gotten shelled all week and you come home, the likelihood that you're going to be grumpy and grumbling goes up. And so James is calling his people here. He's calling you and he's calling me to think not just about how we're relating to God in the battle for patience, but about how we're relating to one another in the battle for patience. And really all through the scripture, this idea of loving one another, of not grumbling with one another is a big part of what it means to be a Christian, to bear with one another in love, as the apostle Paul says in Ephesians, or to not pay back wrong for wrong, 1 Thessalonians 5. Listen, Christians grumbling against each other. Christians being bitter and mean-spirited and sort of gossiping and just being generally grumpy and irritable towards each other is one of the biggest hindrances to the mission of the church advancing. It has a, it has a, a way to steal our missional vitality. It reminds me of uh, one of C.S. Lewis's most profound works, called the, a book called The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters is a, this amazingly imaginative book that Lewis wrote where he has sort of a veteran demon named Screwtape write a bunch of letters or give instructions to a rookie demon, you know, a demon that they just claimed off free agency um, uh, named Wormwood. And the second of the letters in the book, which represents the second chapter, is about how when the demons, when the, the evil one can get Christians bothered with each other, the evil one is accomplishing something helpful and being successful. And at one point, this is a long quote. It's on the screen. I'm going to read through this because it's so helpful. Listen to this. Here's what Lewis says. This is screw tape talking to the junior demon Wormwood. And here's what he says. It reminds me, uh, sorry, this is, uh, where am I? One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Don't misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient, that is the new Christian, 
that he's going to torment. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. He is unaware. He is not able to see what we see, the church mighty as an army with banners, able to make us tremble before God's purposes and plans. Rather, he sees the half-built workings of God in the hearts of his people. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. So helpful. What he's saying there is, you know, one of the easy ways for the devil to get inroads with us is when he helps us sort of look around and think, God, these people are annoying. I do not want anything to do, (laughs) nothing to do with him or her. Yeah, for sure then. That whole third row, I'm out. (laughs) Problem. That's when the devil is having success. So listen, the level of your patience is not only reflected in the way you're relating to God, the level of your patience is also reflected in the way you're relating to one another. And James says, as we wrap up here, verse nine, the judge is at the door. You know, he grounds this call to patience with one another in the coming of Jesus. And it's a little different here. He was trying to encourage us in seven and eight, but now he's saying, listen, you think you can grumble against others and judge others? The real judge is right behind you watching exactly what you're doing and knowing exactly what you're thinking. Who are you? Who are you to grumble against someone else when I, the real judge, know all of your own personal issues? You should just probably focus on your own life. That's the idea there. It reminds me of another one of Lewis's stories, Chronicles of Narnia. Book four, The Horse and His Boy. Um, Great book. Uh, In one point in that story, this talking horse, yes, there are talking horses. Yes, I'm an adult and I still like the book. Talking horses are cool. Um, There's a talking horse named Bree and he's talking, Bree is a skeptic and he's explaining to his traveling companions why Aslan the lion, the king of Narnia, can't possibly be real. And he's sort of being derisive and making fun of Aslan. And Aslan the whole time is creeping slowly up behind Bree. And everybody can see it except Bree. And at one point, just the high point of the whole scene, Bree says, it's just ridiculous to think that Aslan is a lion that has whiskers. And at that very moment, guess what tickles Bree's mane? Aslan's whiskers. It's the whole idea of he's standing right behind me, isn't it? You know, that's the idea of James 5, 9. When you are grumbling against one another, you're forgetting that you have no right to grumble against anybody before God's eyes because you yourself are broken. You yourself are a sinner in need of God's grace. So growing in patience involves, it involves being able to see the planks in our own eyes, as Jesus says elsewhere, without criticizing the specks in the eyes of our neighbors. It's important for us to remember that, you know, we're all videos in motion in life. We're not still photographs. So when you look at someone else and you think, man, that person is a mess. Got some work to do there, buddy. You're looking at that person as a photograph. You have no idea where this person has come from, typically. You might not know their story. You might not know how far their video has progressed in the last even month or year or decade. So be patient with them. Be long-suffering towards them. Stop 
grumbling. In other words, when you can see yourself rightly in the light of the gospel, when you can see who you are in and of yourself before God and know how deeply God has loved you in Jesus, when you can believe that truth of the gospel, it will lead you to be more patient with other people as we wait for Jesus together. Okay, wrapping it up. Summarizing, God calls us here through James to be patient until the Lord returns. We're to be patient in suffering and we're to be patient with one another, okay? We do that through faith in the gospel, recognizing who we are apart from God's grace, broken, desperate, needy, mean-spirited people. But even though God sees that about us, he still loves us and forgives us and pursues us with his mercy. So if we believe that, then surely we can do it, even in the midst of pain, with one another. Let me close with this. B.B. Warfield, very, very famous. Well, he's famous to reform Presbyterians, but he's not that famous in general. Very good theologian. Uh, early 20th century, late 19th century at Princeton Seminary. Um, he has, uh, he's well known as a theologian, but what's much less well known is his own personal story. He married a lady named Annie in like the 1870s, 1880s. And on their honeymoon, she got struck by lightning and was paralyzed. And she never got better. They were married for 38 years until she died and he put her in the grave in 1915. And for their entire 38-year marriage, Warfield was never away from the home for more than a couple of hours at a time. Which is amazing, by the way, how productive he was just as an author and a theologian. But he was never away from the home because he had to be near her to care for her. And when you read or hear that story, you know, to many, that might sound like a life that represents a shattered dream. You know, no one expects that for his or her life. No one plans for that to happen. And yet Warfield was able to remain steadfast to the end. He was able to be patient. And you might ask, how could someone possibly do that? And I think he gives us a hint in his commentary on Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is a great verse that says that for in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Warfield, given his story, reflects on that verse here. And I want to close just by reading what he writes because I think it's quite powerful. Here's what he says. The fundamental thought of Romans eight twenty-eight is the universal government of God. All that comes to you is under his controlling hand. The secondary thought of the verse is the favor of God to those that love him. If God governs all, then nothing but good can befall those to whom he would do good. Though we are too weak to help ourselves and too blind to ask for what we need and can only groan in unformed longings, he is the author in us of these very longings. And he will so govern all things that we shall reap only good from all that befalls us. You see, when you can believe that that's true, you can see patience begin to sprout in your heart and life. May it be the case with us. Let's pray.